Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. Uh, I'll just kick off by introducing our fantastic panel today. Um, we have Katie Pease, uh, who's a program manager at the Sustainable Wine Growing of British Columbia. Uh, we have Brian Talley from Talley Vineyards in South Central Coast of California, and Bridget O'Keen, an outreach director at Live, an initiative to preserve human and natural resources in the wine industry of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, today we'll be speaking about community engagement, which I, when I think about community engagement, I always think of um, an operation, uh, a vineyard potentially, uh, and it looks as if it's surrounded by dirt, a few houses here and there, a few trees and roads. And then uh, when you start to reach out to the community, um, it's like a, it's, it's an incredible uh, magic alchemy that happens, where suddenly this, uh, the surrounding land, which looks like it's not worth very much other than it's, it's, an, it's a nice landscape, actually turns into a very useful dialogue that is useful for both the community and the operation. So we'll be hearing today from our panelists about how some of that magic happens and what you can do by engaging with the community. Maybe some of the challenges as well um, and, and some of the pushback that is quite common in community engagement, but ultimately the great uh, benefits of engaging with the community to both the operation and the community itself. So we'll start off by giving our panel an opportunity to talk a little bit about what themselves and what they do and what their um, their various initiatives mean within community engagement. They'll also tell us a little bit about, about what we mean by a license to trade and what that means for, for their initiatives and for the projects that they've worked on. We'll start off with Katie, uh, then Brian and Bridget. Thank you, Anna, and uh, just uh, thanks to Sustainable Wine, and it's really a pleasure to be here, a part of this panel and participating in the conference overall. Um, Anna mentioned I'm Katie Pease. I'm the Program Manager of Sustainable Wine Growing BC, and we are an up-and-coming initiative, I would say, uh, a sustainability certification program that was launched in November of last year. I've been uh, leading this charge for three years in my position, and the first few of those years were really around updating our sustainability standards and developing the certification protocol, if you will, the process uh, that our members go through to become certified. So we have had a lot of work actually in the background on the community engagement side um, with the update of our standards. Uh, we're overseen by a committee, which is roughly 25 people uh, that really represent a very diverse stakeholder group across our industry um, who have provided input um, as we've gone through the process. Um, and as well, we've reached out broadly in our community to um, receive feedback on the standards uh, and the certification program. So we've had the pleasure really, because our program is new, of really learning from a lot of what's been done over the past two decades with 
uh, sustainability certification, not only in wine, but more broadly um, across other sectors and the things that have been learned um, and what's important to include in standards these days and, um, you know, how to engage really uh, with the broader community and our stakeholders in the industry uh, to really lift this thing off the ground. So we'll get into that a little bit more as we uh, carry on in the conversation, um, but uh, looking forward to it, yeah. All right, and uh, my name is Brian Talley. I am a third generation farmer, um, as uh, Anna mentioned, from the south central coast of, of California, uh, specifically the San Luis Obispo coast region, which uh, is a brand new AVA that's uh, just a few weeks away from uh, being uh, approved. Uh, you know, the things that uh, I'm really focused on right now um, are, are really around um, farm labor issues. Um, you know, I, I consider farm labor to be really, really fundamental to um, the, the true sustainability of, of our industry. And so really kind of two, two areas of uh, focus um, for me. One is um, around mechanization efforts in, in our vineyards. Um, we are aware of the fact that uh, um, we are facing um, or dealing increasingly with an aging workforce um, with a very limited supply of labor. And so um, we're looking at ways to um, make this work easier and, and more appealing uh, to a broader, uh, broader group of folks. Um, and then in sort of related to that, um, basically a charitable foundation that my wife and I established back in 2004 called the Fund for Vineyard and Farm Workers, which really uh, is, is about how to support the farm worker community here in San Luis Obispo County. And what that has led to is, is um, a lot of engagement with my employees about how we can uh, better serve this, this community. And, um, you know, I can get into some of the details about some of the dialogue and things that we've, we've learned along the way. And then thirdly, um, here in California, the Sustainable Groundwater Act is um, a very sig uh, significant initiative that was launched uh, about a decade ago. And so I'm involved in efforts to um, basically figure out uh, you know, how to develop the um, sustainability uh, plans for two basins that we, um, that we farm in. So uh, that's what I'm up to and look forward to chatting a little bit more about it as uh, the session goes on. Thanks, Brian. Are you with us, Bridget? So I'm Bridget O'Keene and happy to be here. I've enjoyed our uh, preparation conversations and I look forward to an engaging conversation with this group. Um, my, I'm the Outreach Director for LIVE, which is an organization that began in the 90s in Willamette Valley to set up a, a standards for best practices and sustainable wine growing and to build a community and set of standards around those practices. So since then, we've grown to nearly 400 winery and vineyard members throughout the Pacific Northwest in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And we have built into our standards um, uh, emphasis of uh, social, social equity and worker rights and uh, payment and benefits, as well as community relations, community stewardship, and uh, good neighbor relations. 
So look forward to kind of teasing those out a little bit more. Um, and uh, I look forward to this conversation. That's great. Thank you so much, guys. Um, we we uh, tell the audience, just feel free to come in and uh, write questions and um, and I'll make sure that we that we have a little bit of time at the end as well for Q&A. But if you have any burning questions, do ahead, go ahead and write them in the chat and I'll try to weave your questions in as we go along. Um, I prefer to keep the conversation flowing. So yeah, feel free to sort of let us know what your questions are as we go along. So one of the things that we spoke about in the pre-session leading up to this, uh, to, to this session today is how it's uh, very uh, important to keep the momentum going uh, in these community engagement um, processes. Because one thing is getting things off the ground and that's also present, that also presents its own challenges. Um, but how do you keep that momentum going? And what do you do once you've got the ball rolling? Uh, what do you do to actually deal with some of the pushback that might be happening? Because we all know it's already hard enough to convince one person to do something. But how do you convince an entire community? Um, that, that's obviously very tricky and, and pays a lot of dividends if it's done right. So our uh, panel here has, uh, has each of them uh, a different journey and a, a different stage in their journey. So I wonder whether you can tell our audience about uh, where you're at in terms of your projects, how you started, and how do you keep that momentum going? What are some of the initiatives that you can recommend our audience uh, to participate in to, to keep that momentum alive? And people, maybe initially, they're really excited, but how do you keep them excited and, and, and keep maybe it's, uh, it's, it's setting certain targets, maybe it's uh, having a monthly check-in or um, some of the other ideas that, that would be great to hear how you, how you manage that and also how you deal with pushback. I'm happy to start off with that one. Uh, it's core to LIVE's uh, mission as an organization to build a network and a community around shared values. So um, it's important for us to have regular networking and educational training opportunities for our members, um, as well as making those available to the public to increase transparency and understanding of the types of practices and, and values that we're working towards. So on that level, that's one of the ways that we create and maintain momentum is to keep those personal connections going. Um, for the community, we focus on training. So for our tasting room staff, for wineries, we offer various trainings so they can communicate around sustainable wine growing to their consumers and to their colleagues and making sure that people become familiar with um, the ideas and, and the language around the work that we're all doing together. Um, a couple of the ways that um, we also work to um, keep that momentum going is some of our members have started some initiatives uh, that benefit the, the community and the network of our membership, one of which are recycling hubs. So one of our winery members um, with the lack of, um, of availability for recycling plastics, created a, a recycling hubs program with our various winery members offering to host those hubs so they can be drop-off points. Um, and also another one of our members, our founding members, created a scholarship for uh, the winery program at a local community college to um, offer funding for um, individuals specifically from immigrant um, families who uh, might be first year college um, attendees and ineligible for federal funding to be able to fund some of their education to get started in the industry. 
Um, certainly, as far as pushback, yes, I found as that focusing on outreach as the outreach director, I found that the best approach to pushback is to have a personalized conversation. I think it's easy for um, people to uh, have some resistance to a set of ideas that they might not feel a part of or included in. And so we have made an intention to have standards that represent the various um, regions that are part of our program and address those differences between those regions. And then just have an honest conversation about what the program requirements entail, what we're working towards and let through that conversation, uh, the potential member or potential partner find if it's a right fit for them and something that they're interested in being a part of. And uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to follow Bridget. Um, you know, and in terms of uh, the project that I mentioned before, the Fund for Vineyard and Farm Workers, um, as I said, we started that in 2004, and it was really an outgrowth of um, the fact that we had a very successful um, charity auction here in the Central Coast. And um, it, it was my sense, really based on what I had seen at the Napa Valley wine auction, that we ought to be figuring out a way to, to channel uh, some of this money to the farm worker community that, again, is, is so crucial to the success of, of our industry. And as we got into this, uh, most people really applauded the efforts, though there was one very prominent grower that took the position that um, maybe this wasn't going to make our industry look good. Um, that uh, maybe there there were issues with pay or some of the benefits that were being offered, and consequently it, it was um, going to have some sort of a, a negative um, uh, sort of a consequence for us. Uh, you know, we we had a, a rather robust uh, back and forth uh, di discussion about about that. Um, quite frankly, in in private, and uh, I think at the end of the day, we probably agreed to disagree. But at, at the, um, again, at, at, at the end of the day, uh, the reception that we have received both from the rest of the industry as well as the media was uh, so positive. And over the course of about 15 years, we've been um, able to, to build this endowment to um, greater than a million dollars. I think that, um, you know, really the, the, the proof of the value of this, um, you know, was borne out over time. In terms of the other issue that's that's really ongoing uh, for us right now, which is uh, basically sustainable groundwater use in our basin, um, that one is very much a work in progress. And I can tell you that the fundamental issue there is we've got uh, three different commodity groups farming in the Edna Valley and trying to figure out how to, to balance um, our, our water use with the needs of rural residents um, as, as well as, as the city. And I'm not sure that, that we're going to reach any kind of real consensus on that. Uh, our, our position is that if you love what's going on in the Edna Valley, which is viticulture, citrus, vegetables, and um, you love the, the economic contribution that we have to the region, then, then we, we need water to, to make those things happen. And we also need to study uh, the data more, more carefully. And so that's our central message. And uh, maybe, maybe at uh, next year's conference or three years down the road, I'll have a better um, 
uh, story to tell about how how that was uh, how that was resolved. And may I ask just um, how this initiative of water conservation? How is it managed? Do you have like a central committee that's responsible for this? Is it coming from the government? Is it a policy issue, or is this is this does this form part of the Californian sustainability plan? Or is this well, something that the wine growers came up with themselves and are pioneering themselves? And it's not just wine growers. Uh, again, there are three different commodity groups. So um, uh, wine growers have the, the largest acreage, though citrus is really, really coming up. Uh, and then finally, um, vegetable farming, and, and we tend to dominate you know, that part of it. And so w- what we are doing um, is t- to try to be proactive in terms of our practices uh, to demonstrate um, that we are moving forward proactively and finding ways to, to save water because we fully expect that what will be happening very shortly are pumping restrictions and um, we, we, we need to be able to demonstrate that we have already taken steps to reduce our water use. And that's quite rare, isn't it, to see different industries coming together on a particular initiative? Uh, it, I mean, we often have very sort of siloed conversations. I mean, I think there's been a session on this in this conference already about how uh, multi-industry conversations uh, can actually really benefit. The learnings can really benefit each industry because there are some things that the citrus farmers probably know that could benefit the wine growers and vice versa. Have you found that to be the case or has it been more difficult because it's different commodities? You know, we're blessed because this is a small town and uh, there, there really aren't that many farmers. And uh, I just, I embrace collaboration and that seems to be the case for just about everybody who, who shows up uh, at, at the meetings. And, um, you know, one, one thing we've embraced is, is that those of us that are farming really need to stick together because um, there, there is a bit of a feeling and, you know, this may be the wrong way to look at it, but that we're under attack. So if, if we're all, if we're not speaking from, you know, the same page and um, working together, then we're going to have real problems. That's very interesting. So, Katie, um, just going back to the original question about uh, how you start and keeping the momentum alive, I know that your initiative, you're still very relatively early in it. So I think you said six months, is that right? Yes. Uh, so that's it's a very interesting example for the audience who maybe are at the, at the infancy of thinking about some of this or maybe starting a project. Could you share some of your views on how you started, how you're keeping that momentum alive and what, what some of your challenges have been in getting the, getting the ball rolling, as I was saying initially. Yeah, great. So yes, while our program launched just six months ago, actually the governance group uh, around this initiative has really been uh, developing it for over a decade. It's been about 12 years now. Um, So I think really the momentum started and has proceeded from a small group of very passionate people within the industry who felt a real need and priority to see uh, sustainability be a foundation for our uh, 
really emerging and growing industry. Uh, British Columbia is pretty new to the stage in terms of the international wine community. Um, and there's a strong sentiment amongst our group, you know, that we lay that sustainability foundation uh, as we move forward. So that group has really championed um, us getting to where we are today, which is great. Uh, I mentioned I came in a little late in the game. I've just been in my position for three years um, and, you know, as we move into this, you know, kind of outward facing, if you will, as we've launched the program and are really trying to generate the community momentum and the stakeholder buy-in, um, it's been really fascinating for me to understand all the various levels uh, which are really important to engage with in order to make sure that it all moves uh, cohesively. There are a lot of stakeholders. So, you know, currently, I would say our focus is really on here in British Columbia, we have four main industry associations that kind of make up uh, the work of wine growing in British Columbia. Our program, Sustainable Wine Growing BC, is a program of the BC Wine Grape Council, which is focused on research and development for the industry. Uh, we have the Wine Growers British Columbia, which really cover the marketing and communications wing of our industry. We have our BC Grape Growers Association, which focus on uh, really serving our grape growers solely. Uh, and then we have our BC Wine Authority, which kind of manages the labeling, which in BC is our BC VQA label and increasingly the terroir distinctions uh, that are being uh, determined and kind of highlighted uh, in communications. So really we've been putting a strong focus on working with our industry associations first. Um, typically we haven't had a lot of collaboration between the industry associations, um, but we found uh, the real need and priority for, you know, kind of getting all on the same page about, um, you know, really first what sustainability means. There's been a lot of conversation about that in the last few days. Uh, in this conference, and I'm, you know, happy to hear actually that we're not the only ones <laughs> kind of struggling with how we, you know, you know, we have clearly defined, we feel through our standards, what we mean by sustainability. Um, and then, but also like having industry partners kind of adopt and feel included in that definition, and then how to communicate that definition, uh, both within our industry, and then also, you know, to trades and consumers. Uh, it's been a much bigger and uh, more difficult, I would say, conversation than I honestly could have imagined. <laughs> um, so we're, we're kind of in the thick of that right now, really determining how we all work together to move it forward. Um, so there's that industry association side, which we're working on. And I think some of the keys to really being successful in that is, um, you know, I have a, a long background in doing facilitation work and, you know, working in large stakeholder groups. And uh, something that I always come back to is that real need for just real listening and understanding, um, you know, really before communicating uh, what your needs and priorities are. I do think there's a lot of value in understanding where other people are coming from and really seeking to kind, kind of find that 
magic middle, if you will, you know, where we all create something together that we actually couldn't have imagined as our sole piece of the puzzle. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're trying for that as part of our um, association groups. And then, you know, just communicating to our stakeholders uh, in the industry about uh, the importance of the program and, you know, seeking buy-in there. Again, our founding group has really been instrumental in that. They are the leaders uh, in our program. They are, you know, the ones who are first to certify. Uh, they share the program in their communities and with their neighbors. I mentioned we're a very small industry, and so that actually goes a long way where we live, um, is the, the word of mouth and um, just the uh, credential, really, that a lot of our founding members have as long-term industry partners. Um, you know, it, it, it has gone a long way in helping to kind of develop um, the buy-in for our program. And as part of this panel and really this conversation, you know, part of what I really hoped to gain even um, being on this panel with two other uh, members who are in longer term sustainability certification programs is about that question of how to keep the momentum going. Um, you know, I think what we imagine is that through our standards and certification, we will come to recognize um, more clearly what the issues are within our industry and be able to respond to those effectively uh, with training and hopefully some support through our program for how members can, you know, work through these uh, challenges in order to uh, continue to improve uh, their work in sustainability. We've taken a really strong um, you know, kind of foundational stance about, you know, sustainability being an evolutionary journey. Uh, we are the first sustainability certification program in British Columbia, and we have very few uh, practitioners here who are even certified organic or the like. So there's really a learning curve. And, you know, we want to make sure that we're including everybody and, you know, really being invitational no matter where you're starting from about you know just starting where you are and moving forward from there um, because we're all kind of you know on this journey together and I think we really are successful as we're able to bring in uh, the majority of the industry and so you know we're working really hard to try and make sure that that happens. No, thank you so much for explaining that. That's very interesting, Bridget. You you've been working in in the um, on on live for for a bit longer than six months, and have had have been working with this standard for some time now. What do you think is a really good way of sort of keeping the momentum alive? Do you, for instance, have targets that you set, or is there an adjustment that's made to the standard? as you go along? And I, I'd actually really love to know from all of you to what extent does the community engagement affect the standards does, does the community um does the community help to define the standard and is it sort of like a a, a mutual understanding between the community and the standard eventually how do they how, what is the dialogue between the community and, and the standard and does it does it help to hear the voice of the community and include that in, in the standard so i'd love to hear from you Bridget, about how you keep that momentum alive and how you've managed to do it um, and then I'd love to hear from all of you about how how you think standards help the community to to keep going, and also how the community enriches the standard. 
Sure. So I have kind of the two different approaches to that question. Uh, one, as far as how we come about our standards, uh, we have rigorous technical committees that are represent the various regions in our program, and they meet on a regular basis each year um, to kind of assess what the conditions were for that year, some of the trends or pests that are coming, any resistance that might be found, um, any new technologies or exciting um, opportunities for sustainable practices. And then on an annual basis, uh, we open um, up the meeting to be a, a large review of our standards. And so each year we assess, should we um, add or change anything uh, to not only our the, the standard that we use, um, but also the tools for um, for biological and cultural controls and and chemistries in the program. Um, those are set out to review um, annually, not only amongst our members but amongst um, the university um, uh, university researchers. And those are open to the public for people to give feedback to. Um, after going through that process, the entire um, the entire network or the entire um, ecosystem of, of our uh, standard um, is then reviewed by the international for <clears throat> um, IOBC in um, in Switzerland that then provides third party accreditation for the standards. Um, and so I, I, that's kind of one response to the question because it's more of a procedural uh, response. But I do um, I would say that it's important to us to distill some of those complexities. Um, I think even language around industry um, can be very insular language um, and, and create uh, barriers to entry for people who are curious and want to understand more about how sustainable sustainability applies to wine. Um, also wine is a luxury product. And so both of those um, are can be challenging for people to feel inclusive um, into these types of conversations. And so we have been working to um, focus, kind of distill that, distill that complexity and those technical um, science and technical concepts to really what the intended outcomes are of the program and how uh, that fits into the uh, larger goals around natural resource conservation and worker rights protection um, action uh, for climate change, climate change action, and then reducing pesticides. Um, and those are tend to be more relatable and more uh, inclusive as conversation starters and, and understanding than um, just kind of jumping right into the more technical um, uh, processes. Mm. And, and, and you, Brian, uh, as a winemaker, do you sometimes feel weighed down by all of these certification and standards that are imposed upon you by the, the local appellation? Or um, are, you, are you excited about having them? And to what extent do you, do you contribute to the, to the discussions about how those standards locally are, are set? I know that you work on some very innovative things. Like I know we touched on polyculture. It's a whole topic of its own. Um, but I, I, I get the sense that you're on the very much in the, in, on the leaderboard of, um, of sustainable winemaking practices. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear from you whether you feel pressured or whether you actually are sort of influencing uh, the way the standard evolves in your area. Well, that, that is a great question. And quite frankly, I think there's both a, a bit of push and pull. 
And, you know, one of the things I was reflecting on uh, being in, in the wine industry, at least in California, we are very much on the leading. And I don't mean Tally Vineyards. I mean, the industry as a whole is, is really leading uh, agriculture in general in terms of, of sustainability uh, efforts. And, you know, I think a lot of that is, is really driven by uh, consumer demand and the fact that this is what our customers uh, demand. And um, quite frankly, as I mentioned earlier, I, I am a big believer in, in collaboration. I like to figure out how to work with, with other folks and, and move us in a positive direction. You know, the other thing that's happening here in California is that we are highly regulated. And um, given my choice between participating in a voluntary program, which I can see as an opportunity for us to, to, to move forward in a, in a positive, proactive way, I much prefer that as opposed to a regulation being handed down to me that in some cases um, is, is almost impossible uh, to, to comply with. And, you know, we, we have embraced sustainability uh, across our, our farming operations. But I think in the more um, global sense of, of sustainability, even though I, I do farm um, about 250 acres that's uh, certified organic, um, my, my family and I really embrace, again, a, a, a broader uh, measure of what sustainability is. And, you know, one of the things I emphasize is the fact that I live on the land that I farm. And uh, we have now sustained ourselves on this land for four generations. And so to me, that is, is um, a real key measure of, of sustainability. Yes. Speaking of generations, um, uh, for, for the standard setters, do you, do you, do you get some of that pushback of, oh, we've done it this way for three generations. We're not going to change it now. Uh, this is to both Katie and Bridget. Are you, do you, do you hear this kind of conversation a lot from, from winemakers or do you generally find that people are open-minded and, and, and really willing to embrace sustainability in your regions? I think it's a both and, uh, you know, we have uh, certainly a, a group of early adopters that I mentioned who really have been farming this way for quite some time. Um, and, you know, even a lot of those that give us some pushback on the standard uh, are doing a lot of the work that uh, we've outlined as part of our standard. I think one of the largest pushbacks we get really is just on the documentation and paperwork side of what it takes to um, comply with the standard. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's one of the, the big hurdles that we're currently working on in terms of getting people on board. Um, but, you know, we certainly do hear the messaging about it, it being a challenge and, you know, not really wanting to change practices um, and currently, we haven't had a lot of regulatory push in the direction of uh, implementing sustainability practices, um, although our government is currently uh, really changing its focus on uh, GHG calculation and carbon sinks and agriculture and things like this. So we're starting to see a lot more momentum uh, that I think will really enhance kind of the uptake even of our program, hopefully. So we'll see. 
is that is do you do you find that uh, working collectively can actually help some of the smaller wineries, uh, smaller operations to get access to some of those tools, like for instance, the greenhouse gas accounting, uh, that maybe smaller wineries wouldn't be able to dedicate the time or the resources to it unless it was uh, to work collaboratively within a region. Is that something that that you've come across? This is really to to Katie. Well, I feel like we're a little new to kind of be answering that question uh, from well, specifically kind of the GHG calculation side, but I do think that within uh, the industry members, there certainly is a lot of benefit to the smaller uh, growers, you know, collectively working together. They, they learn a lot and exchange a lot of information as they kind of come on board to help each other to kind of move through the sustainability standards and the implementation And that's something, you know, that we're also working hard on the SWBC side and with our partners at the Grape Growers Association uh, to, you know, create the training programs um, and really, you know, provide the information that is requested about, you know, how do I do this um, so that our members have an easier time of picking it up and then, you know, that they can share that uh, amongst each other. And we certainly feel like, you know, if we're able to really get this program off the ground in a meaningful way, it will certainly be a benefit for the entire industry uh, to be able to share quantifiably really how we're doing on things such as water use and energy use and, you know, enhancing biodiversity and even on our social equity side, um, you know, that these are things that really in a global perspective, especially these days, are important to share and I think add a, a really strong value to our industry and all the industry members, you know, whether or not they're they're big or small in that sense. That's great. Bridget, did you did you have a, a thought on this? Or um happy to move on to my next question as well. But if you have any thoughts on that, go ahead. I'll just quickly note that our membership tends to be very engaged and appreciative of the processes involved. It's clear that the landscape's evolving, the uh, climate is evolving, business ownership and land ownership, how that is playing out um, across the Pacific Northwest, that's always changing. And so it's um, understanding that and being a part of those decisions and those processes um, through a, a perspective of learning and growth. Mm. We've spoken a little bit about um, environmental stewardship through, through Brian's example of uh, water conservation at the community level. What are some of the other environmental challenges that you're, that you're dealing with at the community level, both internally and externally? And um, how have you found that working with the community is actually helping to drive those environmental stewardship agendas forward? Well, I guess uh, I can start this time. Uh, you know, two two big water issues that we're facing um, really in the Central Coast. One is just the supply of water, and you know whether or not we are truly um, essentially as a as a basin or regionally operating uh, sustainably. But then the other issue that's that's really coming up now in a very big way is water quality. 
And um, there's a lot of concern about uh, what's happening with our creeks and, um, you know, basically our, our watershed. And so uh, what we are trying to do, again, is, is lean into, um, you know, in our case, we, we participate in, in um, the SIP program, which is very much like the, the initiatives that Katie and, and Bridget are, are leaving. SIP stands for Sustainability in Practice. We've, we've participated for about a decade there. And, um, you know, that just provides an opportunity for the community to, to come together and again, try to be proactive in terms of how, how we're responding to um, what are essentially edicts that are coming down from regulatory uh, agencies. Mm -hmm. So um, not quite sure I answered your, your question there, but uh, uh, it, you know, the water, both supply and quality, huge issue for us. And we're, we're trying to um, lead on that uh, big topic for the wine industry as a whole i think uh, california specifically also south africa and israel all, all three areas are really struggling with um water management but i i do have a sense that other other regions are going to soon follow so your insights on that are very useful thank you so much for sharing uh katie and bridget uh, any any would you like to share anything on your thoughts about environmental stewardship and the community I'll just give one uh, just quick project example, just to kind of share a specific example. Uh, we just to to communicate and and um, and uh, share with the community the value of biodiversity and how it's not just looking at a single farm or, or single crop, but how our um, natural and agricultural ecosystems are all connected through biodiversity. We did a, um, a project where we distributed wildflower seeds um, throughout the region. So uh, a mix of native wildflower blends and we gave um, seeds to each of, our, um, each of our members. And then we also had some um, seeds that they could sell in their tasting rooms that are more for the individual um, at the individual or neighborhood level. Um, with the understanding that pollinators need a corridor through which to uh, travel and survive. And so um, with our, uh, the representation that our membership makes up within um, the wine region and then sharing with uh, neighbors also um, with, within the Willamette Valley area um, to be able to create these corridors, these patches of native wildflower seeds. Um, so that's just one, one example of just a, a project that um, isn't necessarily tied to um, wine growing, a crop that uh, isn't uh, pollinated by insects, but um, just showing that it's all um, a, a combined uh, ecosystem. That is fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. I guess I could build on Bridget's comment just as kind of a specific example and bringing it back to the community engagement. Um, you know, we also have uh, quite a few community partners who work on uh, the enhancement of biodiversity through native habitats. Um, and we've been able to share those programs and work with them um, in terms of our members being able to, you know, enhance the work that they're a lot of times already doing, um, uh, but if not, you know, to kind of adopt those programs as well in terms of enhancing, enhancing their own uh, biodiversity and such. Um, 
water is another big, you know, Brian mentioned water, and I think water increasingly is an issue just everywhere. Uh, we're not currently under the same regulatory environment that I know California uh, works under, but, um, you know, increasingly it's an issue for our area. Uh, predominantly the grapes for our industry are grown in what is the only desert in Canada. It's a very small pocket down in the Okanagan Valley. So just a lot of sandy loam soil. And, um, you know, so increasingly water because of the growth just across our um, area in general, both population wise and agriculturally, uh, it's been something that is increasingly looked at. I think, you know, within our program, we're really trying to, or we are, I mean, we are a voluntary program and we're being proactive in terms of educating and, you know, trying to uh, move members, you know, towards uh, just using less and, you know, as little as possible, really water, so that when these regulatory issues really do start to hit the industry hard, that we're already, uh, you know, one step ahead of, um, you know, what is going to be a problem and an issue for um, really other industries. We have a very large tree fruit industry here, which, um, and, you know, other agricultural industries, uh, beef and, and, and such. So, yeah, um, you know, a, a large part also of what we work on uh, with this initial phase is really uh, getting integrated pest management plans um, operating with our members. And that's been kind of the documentation side that we have to really kind of walk through uh, step by step with our prospective members. Like, again, a lot of people are doing the work, um, you know, some of them not, but a lot of them are, but documentation certainly hasn't been uh, a priority uh, in terms of how they manage. And so, uh, you know, we're really trying to set a measurement standard here as well. Um, and so setting that baseline is really a priority of what we're doing. And so, uh, you know, targeting really robust IPM plans for our members is another kind of environmental or ecological thing that uh, we feel is really important uh, as a, as a base for our, our standard and our work. Yeah, really fascinating to hear about these projects. Um, I love the visual of the corridors that you introduced, Bridget, that really is, um, it's a great metaphor for community engagement, isn't it? Because you kind of imagine these corridors weaving in and out of different vineyards, different plots, and how they wouldn't exist unless it was a, a collaborative effort to, to take this on. I think that's, that's, quite, that's a very powerful image, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on environmental stewardship. So we have a very quiet audience with us today, and I'm thinking of ways that I can introduce glyphosate into the conversation just to liven things up. <laughs> Nothing comes to mind. Um, but our lovely audience, I'm sure, have lots of questions. We only have uh, 12 minutes. So if you have a burning question, um, speak now or forever hold your peace, audience. Um, I, I have some questions. I'm quite fascinated to hear now about the social side uh, of uh, community engagement. I know from our, our conversation leading up to this Zoom um, that, that uh, Brian is working on some very interesting uh, social project and uh, projects and uh, what fascinates me is how through community engagement you can find out what was relevant to the community that and to 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 the workforce internally that you maybe had absolutely no idea about so would love it if you could share with our audience some of your stories about how how you've reached out to the community what you found they need 
and how you've addressed that need. Well, uh, yeah, so as, as I mentioned before, this um, uh, charitable endowment that we established called the Fund for Vineyard and Farm Workers, you know, that, that has just become a, a great venue uh, for my family, uh, I think, to, to engage more deeply with our employees and, and to find out uh, what, what the needs are. And I mean, the first fundamental need that we identified was that there was really no obvious way to direct some of the philanthropy that uh, was being generated in our county to people that uh, that needed it. So then the next thing that we did was we started sitting down with a couple of our key employees, our, our longtime personnel manager and uh, a gentleman named Annabelle Escobar, who's in charge of our, our worker and food safety um, initiatives, and started to find out things like you know, we, we make health insurance available to all of our employees, but a lot of folks just choose not to participate because they, they, they don't want to make, you know, any copay. And, you know, we have to acknowledge that these, these are folks that are really living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And so, you know, there, there has to be another, another means to, to provide some support. Um, one of the most significant beneficiaries of, of our efforts uh, has been a, a group called the NOR Foundation, which is a group of doctors in San Luis Obispo County that donate their time and expertise to provide free uh, health care, you know, including both dental and vision, which is something that a lot of folks, you know, just don't, don't have access to um, that can, you know, really, really enhance their lives. I think another thing that we found out about was uh, the AVID program and basically a way to support um, farm workers, the children of farm workers who are often the first in their families to, to go to college and maybe don't have the support structures that, that we all um, might take, take for granted. And AVID is a wonderful program that helps uh, first generation um, college students, uh, you know, really, really succeed. You know, and then um, on a related note, we, we did decide to establish a scholarship, uh, basically, initiative about three years ago. And so it's, it's wonderful to be able to support, um, you know, these, these um, children of folks that make our industry possible to uh, further, further their education and, and uh, you know, move forward. So it's something that's truly inspiring to, to me. And um, I appreciate having a bit of a platform to, uh, to talk about it here. That's amazing. So does the scholarship actually take the student to university? Is that, is that, um, it, it's, <laughs> it doesn't cover all of the cost, but, uh, it, it, for, a, a, a child that is, uh, choosing to live at home, uh, it would offset about half of the tuition at, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And so, um, you know, and there's there, which is the local university, which has a huge impact here in, in, uh, in San Luis Obispo. Fortunately, our county and in, in much of California community college is now free. And so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a wonderful thing uh, for this community as well. And what a great opportunity for the colleges as well to have um, a more enriched and diverse backgrounds of, of students who may not have ended up there. Well, and I have to acknowledge Jeff Armstrong, who is the is the president of, of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, was the person who uh, actually planted the seed in, in my head. He wanted to figure out how to get more of these folks uh, 
into Cal Poly. And, you know, he's truly a, a leader in um, these types of, of initiatives here in California. I saw a question pop up somewhere or a comment. Yeah, or something. we have a question from Chris. In a previous session, certification program managers talked about how a principal benefit of engaging workers is building pride and confidence among them. Do you find that communicating your work to the community at large also has a benefit of building local pride? What a great question. Thanks, Chris. Any thoughts on that? Uh, that actually relates a little bit to um, a, a speaker that we had at our annual meeting back in the spring, Stephen Satterfield from Whetstone Media, who's um, very uh, incredible um, thinker and, and motivator and really inspiring. Um, it's a message that he provided our members, but um, the communication was, was a key point in how language and communication um, creates community and understanding and how there's an opportunity within the wine industry to really think about our narrative um, around how we talk about provenance and land and the finished product in a way that is uh, more inclusive and leads to uh, more diversity um, and expands uh, representation of, of thought and, and um, new ideas and how um, you know that kind of ties into when we take a look at uh, the entire um, ecosystem, you know, it's not just about the ecological systems, but when one aspect of our sustainable efforts are out of balance um, or not equitable, it affects the rest. And as a community um, and through language, through communication, we can come together and investigate what are those problems, what leads to that imbalance and uh, what we can do together to um, build those connections. Yeah, very interesting. In answer to the, the question that Chris posed, I can only say that uh, at this point, we hope so. <laughs> uh, because we are such a new program, and we are just getting started uh, in communicating about our program and the uh, benefits. Um, as part of our standard, we have outlined uh, the framework is, is of goals and anticipated outcomes and then the specific criteria. And I think those anticipated outcomes um, really are, you know, part of building our key messaging and the things that I think really could instill kind of that uh, pride uh, within the local community of really um, hitting a very high bar. So we hope so. And on, on, on the social challenges uh, side, Katie, have there been any surprising outcomes to some of the com community work? And or are there any particular social issues that you're looking to address through the program? Well, I would say one of the most surprising things to me personally, so I'm an American transplant. I actually am a native Californian and I moved to British Columbia just uh, four years ago. And so working with my stakeholder roundtable, I came from, you know, working with stakeholder groups all across California as a facilitator around community food systems. And I was just blown away, honestly, at the collaborative capacity of the group that I work with here in British Columbia. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it really makes things so smooth. And so, you know, that piece has been just lovely in so many ways. Like, um, 
you know, and then just, I think your second question was that to just broader challenges or pushback. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 some of the topics and social sustainability that you're, that oh, you're addressing, yeah. That we're looking to address, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the social equity side of our standard and, you know, how we're looking to develop, I think it's certainly the piece that we have the most to learn about. Um, and I think our engagement there, it's been really lovely to learn through this conference, you know, some of the things that other groups and even on this panel that, you know, other groups are doing to really hit that community engagement mark and with the workers and the challenges there. Um, in British Columbia, we don't face as much um, of a challenge in terms, our foreign workers are all brought in legally and many of them come back year after year to the same vineyards and they're covered with healthcare and, and just kind of a basic standard minimum wage and, and these kinds of things, housing is provided. Um, but certainly with COVID, it's brought light to the fact that, you know, it has been extremely challenging to fulfill neighbor, uh, labor needs, which were already an issue. Um, but through COVID and, and bringing in foreign labor has been really challenging. And so I think you know, one of the, I, I think to Chris's point, one of the things that was talked about earlier, you know, in terms of the needs of the community, and I think it's quite similar in a lot of regions across the world. Um, it is very hard to find labor that can be sustained because uh, housing challenges are really extreme where we live and it's very expensive. Um, so when we look at labor from a local perspective and engaging more of a local community in the labor force, I think housing is probably going to have to be something that you know, while we won't probably address it immediately through our program, certainly it's something, it's, it's such a difficult nut to crack and probably a place where we'll end up having a lot of conversation around, you know, what can we do um, to assist the labor force in being able to sustain themselves uh, to live in our communities and, and do the work that's so vital to keeping the industry running. And such a, such a great um, example again of how this is a community topic and it will require the community to come together to solve this issue. It's also a very common issue in other agricultural commodities. How do you get migrant labor and then how the housing and, and the logistics around that? So it's a very interesting topic and perhaps we can explore it more another day because we're actually reaching the end of this amazing session. I'm so impressed with this panel. I really learned so much. Um, thank you so much for participating.